This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. After those pa- papers from our students, we're going to get into... Uh, Genesis and try and uh, start to get to the end of the account of Noah and the flood. Last time we had kind of a uh, rabbit trail into some um, ethical issues, maybe would be the way to say it. And uh, to kind of bring us back where we were, we're in Genesis and we're talking about Noah and the flood and we're going to kind of wrap up that Uh, ethical business, talking about who was on the ark. And that is Noah, his sons, and his wife, and his son's wives. They all go with him uh, into the ark. And this is in Genesis 7-7. And now why I point this out again is kind of brings us back to those ethical issues, at least some of them. We are... We are one people, one kind, across the board. All people in every nation and language and tribe across the entire world, they have ancestors there on the ark. And it's after that, through thousands of years, that... You know, um, my wife became a German, and I became English, and, you know, we have people from all over the world in that way. Those things flow out of that, but we are all united and related and one people in that way. And so, eight souls in all, according to Peter, go on to the ark. Noah and Mrs. Noah, Shem and Mrs. Shem, Japheth and Mrs. Japheth, Ham and Mrs. Ham, okay, which always kind of cracks me up. Sounds like it should be um, like a Pillsbury brand, Mrs. Ham, but uh, okay, maybe not. All right, so we're in Genesis chapter 7, and I want to read a little bit here to get us back to where we're going. This is starting in verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Um, Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and of birds and everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights." On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature 
They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, bird, livestock, beast, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life that uh, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the face of the earth." Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the face of the earth a hundred fifty days. They repeat those things over and over, which makes it kind of tedious to read, but just as an emphasis. that When you are saying, these animals went on the ark and all the rest died, why are they saying it over and over and over? Because it's real, and they want you to realize the depth of that. Um, And so that's really important. Now, this is important as well. And we'll explain why. Did you catch, as we were reading all that section, how did Noah close the door? Noah did not, right. God closed the door. God shut him in. Now, it may not sound like it, but those words, the Lord shut him in, are words of gospel. They're good news. All right. And what I mean is this. Have you ever been in a boat with a leak in it? How easy is it to fix the leak while you're in the boat in the water? You can't, right? So imagine that you have an enormous boat, twice as big as our church, okay? And you have a big hole in the side for creatures, two by two, to enter the, the, the boat. And you want to be on the boat as well. How do you close the door and fill in any gaps in the door area? This is before there are rubber seals. This is before... Um, you know, machining uh, to specific um, sizes and dimensions. This is a reed wooden ark built 5,000 years ago. The only way that Noah and his family and all the creatures can be saved is if God closes the door and seals them in. Okay? And when they're in the ark, now they're safe. So, who saved Noah? God. God did. God kept Noah and his family safe in that way. 
They could have drawn straws, right? That's what we would do. Okay, Mark, you draw the short straw, so you've got to go outside. Been nice knowing you, buddy, but um, hope you can swim real well <laughs> okay. for a long time. Um, God shows his mercy to Noah and his family by closing them into the ark. Now, you are a part of the ark as well. Not just because your ancestors were on the ark, but because you are in the church. Who put you in the church? God did. How? Through baptism. Through water, in fact. Okay? God puts you in the church so that you may be kept safe and secure through your lifetime here on earth. That's good news. That's a parallel. That's why we use this um, when we baptize babies. We say the flood prayer. Okay? That's why. When we baptize a baby, we're bringing them into the ark of the church. All the sinful stuff, all the terrible stuff is still going on outside. God's going to wash it away and bring that person through this lifetime and into God's kingdom by His grace and by His mercy. This is why, too, this is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it's not. This is why pastors go out to the graveside as well when you die. Right? We're putting your body in the ground and in a sense, God's putting it there and closing it in so that on the last day, he'll open the door and bring you out alive and safe. This is why we do burials in that way, because God is keeping your body safe. We even say there, um, one of the Psalms that we read at the graveside says, this is the gate of the door of the Lord, the gate of the Lord, the righteous enter through it. We're talking about the grave because someday you're going to go back out of it and enter into God's kingdom. Okay? We also see parallels to other things in Scripture as well. So uh, off the top of my head, these will all... Not all of them, but many of these will be talked about at the Easter vigil service itself. It reminds us of other things. Daniel in the lion's den. He is put in the lion's den, a cave. Stone is rolled against the entrance to the cave, and he is sealed in. But he's safe. Why? Who's in there with him? God. How about the three men in the fiery furnace? They're thrown into the fiery furnace. The people who threw them in die, but they're safe because who's in there with them? God. Okay? Um, and the same with you. Here in the Ark of the Church, you're safe no matter what happens to you because God is with you through the waters of holy baptism. And we can extend it even more. Moses, okay, a baby put into a smaller ark, a basket, and floated into the Nile River, is safe because who's with him? God. Okay? 
And then it ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus, in the tomb, where God breaks the seal, opens the door, and Christ comes out alive, even though he was dead. You see all these pictures here? The Lord shutting in, in this way, is good news. All right. Now, this is a question. We, we have then, we hear about it raining 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, where does the water come from? Because we look around the world now, is the whole world covered in water? Right, you have to watch that, um, what's the movie, who's the actor? Uh, he's on Yellowstone, who's that actor? Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, did you ever see the 90s movie with Kevin Costner, Waterworld? where you have the wicked people who burn diesel and tires just for fun, and uh, as a result, the whole world's covered in water, right? Okay? Um, In real life, even if the icebergs melt, there's not really enough water currently on the surface of the earth to cover the entire face of the earth. So where does the water come from? The fountains of the deep open as well. You might not know this, as they have been drilling deeper and deeper, they've discovered that in the rock, in the earth, there is a tremendous amount of water that is stored. Now, could that be where the water comes from? And that's why the fountains of the deep burst open at the same time that rain falls from heaven. Maybe. Who's making the flood happen? And how did all the water on the surface of the earth get there in the first place? God said, let there be, be, and there was. Where's the water coming from? It's coming from God. He's the one making this flood come into existence. He's bringing the water into existence to cover the entire world, right? And, you know, people will do math, like this cracked me up. The Guinness Book of World Records, um, Folk Folk in La Reunion Island holds the distinction of having the highest amount of rainfall over a 24-hour period. Okay? Um, they received 71.8 inches of rain in a 24-hour period, January 7th and 8th in 1966, the highest ever recorded in the world. They also received 45 of that inches of that water in 12 hours. Okay, now, how much is 71 inches? Almost six feet. Almost six feet. Okay, I'm not, I'm almost 71 inches tall. Not quite. Okay, that much water in one day. Take that times 40 days. Is there enough water there to cover the entire face of the earth? Yeah, it is if God's at work. (laughs) And that's what I want you to think about. I don't want you to be worried because I don't think there's enough water to cover the surface of the earth. I don't want you to be worried because it'd have to be raining really, really fast. I don't want you to get all distracted. A lot of the um, creation scientists get into all these 
theories about, well, there must have been uh, continents drifting apart because water geysers were shooting out a tremendous force in between, pushing the continents away. All that stuff doesn't matter because we don't know. Where did the water come from? God. Where did it go? God. (laughs) And we just have to believe it because that's what God's Word says. Ken Ham might have a really good idea. It might be true. We don't believe it because Ken Ham has an idea, the, the Creation Museum guy. We believe it because God's Word says it. And if you don't believe that can happen, the other example of a similar thing is the feeding of the 5,000, which we heard in Matins uh, two weeks ago. Okay? Jesus takes some loaves and some fish, and he blesses them, and the disciples take the bread, and they rip a hunk off and hand it to somebody, and they just keep on doing that, and even as they do that, the bread never runs out. And in fact, when they go back and pick up the leftovers, what do they see? More bread than they started with is left over. God is able to do such things, and he does. That makes sense, what I'm trying to say? Yes. Okay. All the mountains under the whole heaven were covered, covering them 15 cubits, 20 to 25 feet, depending on your cubit. Okay? Now, does this imply a local flood? What I mean is there's a lot of people out there who say, aha, it's impossible for the whole surface of the earth to be covered in water. So obviously this was a local flood. There was a big lake and like the Black Sea and it overran the edge and all of Iraq was flooded and that's what this is. Okay, when it says all high mountains under the whole heaven were covered, Does that mean just a local flood in Iraq? What does this mean? The whole earth. The whole earth. Because God created the whole earth, and the heavens cover the whole earth, right? If you go, I've been to Europe and Africa and Israel, the heavens are up there too. (laughs) Okay? They're not just here. They cover the whole earth. All the high mountains under the whole earth are covered with water. It is not a local flood. There are not people who survive in other places. Only those in the ark are saved. Okay? Mount Everest, if it was as tall as it is now, who knows, right, was underwater. It was underwater. Okay? And you see evidence of that. (laughs) We live in Nebraska. Okay? Um, I took geology class when I was at Concordia Seward. And we went to a gravel pit near Seward. And we spent a class period one day out of this gravel pit doing what? You guys know? picking up fossils. What kind of fossils do they have in Seward, Nebraska? 
shark teeth, um, coral, things like that. Okay, when's the last time you drove to Omaha, or let's just go back to Seward, and you saw a shark out grazing in the field? <laughs> I hope never, okay? <laughs> Why are they there? Right, the flood. Either before the flood, it was underwater. During the flood, it was underwater. Or right after the flood, it was underwater. And creatures were being killed and deposited there. This is why, too, um, you have fossils, period. Okay? Have you ever thought about, uh, even like Montana, you have um, dinosaur fossils. Why? And what I mean is this, I like to hunt, and sometimes you go out across the pasture when you're hunting, and you find a pile of bones there from like a cow that died or a deer that died, and as the bones sit out in the sun, what do they start to do? They deteriorate, they splinter, they break into little pieces, you know, coyotes come and spread them all over and chew on them. Uh, the bones, do they turn into fossils? No. <laughs> What's necessary for fossils? They have to be covered very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. What's the reason that there are all these fossils all over the place? Because they were covered very, very quickly in the flood. And even, I think this is interesting, again, in dinosaur fossils, they find now, they're dissolving the minerals, and they're finding that in the fossil there is still flesh. Okay, spongy flesh. Why is it still there? The dinosaur didn't die 65 million years ago. It died in the flood. Okay, 5,000 years ago. All right. Rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. Fastest rainfall rate in record is extended. It's over 240 inches of rain, plus whatever God is bringing up from below and whatever he's creating. Apply that over the surface of the whole world. We see a huge, huge flood. This is the very first time in the Bible as well that the number 40 is used. And so today we begin Lent, 40 days of Lent. Uh, we have Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We have the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the first time 40 is used. And so um, this is important in that regard. We see how God uses this number. And the reason for 40... Is, is this. This is going to sound weird, but it's true. Okay? God's number in general is the number three. Okay? And you add that to the number of the creation, which is four, and that gets you seven. We've already seen that. So God's creation is um, the number seven. That's why it's seven days in a week. And then you add God to that again, that he's operating, you get the number 10, 
which is why you have 10 fingers and toes, and 10 is an important number also. And then you times it against the world, north, south, east, west, again, you have 40. That's why 40 days is such an important number there. Sounds crazy. It's true. Okay? Rains for 40 days, 40 nights. The waters prevail on the surface, meaning there's no bumping the bottom in the ark for 150 days. But even after that, the earth stays uninhabitable for about a year, which makes sense, okay? Because even after the dry ground appears, I shouldn't say dry ground, even after the waters go away, you're going to have a big muddy mess, okay? And so this is a huge, huge, huge event that affects the entire world for over a year, okay? And we have specific dates, according to Scripture. One year and 11 days is how long Noah and his family are in the ark, which is a fair amount of time. Okay, Fill the church up with animals and stay in here with them for one year and 11 days. You'll be anxious to get out. And that's good. Genesis 8, God remembers Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that are with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. And the word wind can also be the word spirit. Okay? And so when you see the wind blowing over the face of the earth, do not only think that it's windy like you're in Nebraska. Think back to the creation when the spirit of God flittered about over the face of the deep right as he was creating. The wind blowing here, God is recreating all the things on the earth in that sense. Okay? The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed. Rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded continually. In the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to abate until the tenth month On the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Okay. Now we have an interesting thing here that I'm going to go on to a a little bit of a rabbit trail again on. Where is it that the ark comes to rest? On the mountains of Ararat. And immediately we think of this. On the right here, this is what we today call Mount Ararat. It's located in eastern Turkey. It is a really, really big volcano, kind of like Mount Rainier um, or Mount St. Helens if you go to the west coast. And so you have Mount Ararat on the right, and then over on the left, that is Little Ararat. And today, we think, aha, Noah landed on that mountain somewhere. And that's where the ark ought to be. But we do that using today's geography books. That mountain wasn't called Mount Ararat until the Middle Ages. (laughs) Okay? And so to say that, and it was called that mostly because of this account. To say that the ark must have landed there 
is probably a little bit of a stretch. It could be there, but it could be many other places. And that's what I want to talk about, and I guess we'll get into that next week. Ararat is an old word, and in Hebrew, it also can be pronounced Urartu. And Urartu is a kingdom that existed at the time of the Exodus all the way up until it was destroyed by the Assyrians in um, between 8 and 700 BC, the time Moses is writing. And it has lots and lots of mountains in it. And so it isn't necessarily Mount Ararat, the one we just had pictured. It could be any of the mountains that existed in that kingdom at the time that Moses is writing the account of Genesis. Okay? And so Ararat could be Mount Ararat. It could be Little Ararat. It could be... I'm just going to... I know we're almost out of time. It could be any mountain in this map, in the yellow area. (laughs) Okay? And so this lake over here, Lake Urima, is in Iran. Uh, And then you see this border right here between the purple and the yellow. That's pretty close, but not quite exactly the same as where the border between Iraq and Turkey is. Okay? And then up here, um, you see Mount Ararat mentioned, and then there's this town, Bastam. That area is today part of Azerbaijan. And then there's Armenia, which is all that remains of Urartu, that is up there where it says Lukiuni. My Armenian isn't very good pronouncing-wise, sorry. Lukiuni, that's where Armenia is today, and that's what's left of Urartu, or Ararat, today. So next week, we're going to do a quick history course about the kingdom of Urartu, And this is really important because it gives us a much wider area, but it still puts things into a location. And from this point forward, after the flood, there is a lot more history that connects to what Genesis is saying, which makes sense because the world that existed before the flood is washed away. And that's really where our starting point, uh, historically speaking, will begin. So, Urartu uh, is where we're going to focus next week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.